All right, welcome to uh, the Stem Cell Podcast, Episode 4, 3D Pancreas and ISSCR. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannett, and this is the Stem Cell Podcast. What's up, Yos? What's going How are you on, doing there, man? It's good to hear your voice again. How have you been? I've been, uh, I've been great. Actually, Yosef and I just, uh, just hung out recently. I was down in New York City at the New York Stem Cell Foundation's annual conference. I believe it was the 8th, I believe. Um, and uh, so we went down to New York City, saw, uh, saw Yosef and, and some old friends from New York and saw some, saw some pretty good talks, um, talked some science and some... Did you get that some, bone-in steak? Oh, man. So Dr. Dalon James from last week uh, and I went out to the uh, Del Fisco's steakhouse and just crushed us some steak <laughs> uh, it was uh it was pretty phenomenal so so yeah man so there was a good meeting uh it was like a nice set of people um a lot of new york you know new york centric a bit uh they do a good job and it was a good meeting so it was good to hear and it was good to see you guys what's going on on your end oh things are good uh you know going away doing research uh trucking along uh trying to get some more well i've gotten some recent good news about second authorship so i'm excited about that and um besides that nice man moving on uh yeah so let's get yeah exactly let us move that, on let's what, move tell me the... about that title you just said you said 3d pancreas and and ISSCR, I'm I, I'm very excited about uh, Dr. Carl Wonders, uh, who we're going to be interviewing later today. Uh, yeah, today. Dr. Carl Wonders from the ISSCR and the title, the International Society for Stem Cell Research. That'll be cool, man. He'll tell us about the society and how he kind of made his transition from bench scientist into uh, into that society. So 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 look, really looking forward to that. They do a great job. We go to the meetings; they're a lot of fun and very informative. But this uh, 3D pancreas, I'm I'm uh, I'm very curious about this part. Yeah, it's cool. We're to it in the stem cell part of the uh, of the uh, of the round the the stem cell roundup, if you will. But to kick it off before we get there, Yos, why don't you fill us all in on the uh, on the general scientific world knowledge? Oh well, there's so much science news since we last talked. I may have to break it up into two. But um, uh, nice. Uh, did you hear about this open access journal fraud investigation that Science uh, Magazine did, where they uh, some guy basically made a fake paper with fake results and completely horribly controlled experiments, and uh, sent it to like 300 journals, and it got it got accepted into more journals than it got rejected. You know, I did like one of my graduate students was telling me about this and I couldn't believe that I couldn't I couldn't believe that it got accepted. What, like 200 different times or something? Yeah, like that? It was it was above the it was like 120 something it, out of. It, oh, but yeah, it still is really the. Uh, it's discouraging because open access journals are a good thing, but some of them are not well kept. If, yeah, if clear, they, clearly, if that if that could happen, and they were talking about also like um, conferences too, how some of these conferences are they just coddle to your ego to to get you to talk, and it's a small pad. It's it's more of a money making uh, device than an actual scientific conference. So that's that's a little concerning. Not really science. Uh, specific news, but science in general news. Um, so I thought it was worth mentioning. Uh, Fred Gage has a new paper out uh, in Nature uh, dealing with line elements. I haven't read it yet, but per perhaps we should uh, maybe review that. But uh, from what I read from the the abstract, it was it was really exciting stuff dealing with even human evolution and uh, the brain. And line elements are these sort of like retro transposon. They're the, how would you describe them? Like the jumping genes of the genome. They're like sort of like the private. If any of you have seen the Matrix, they're like the 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 rogue programs that that go off and like the <laughs> key maker or whatever. They just have their own thing. Or the who is the guy? Uh, the Merovingian. It's something like that. Retro transposons. I, they're sort of these. I mean, I'll tell you what. I learned a lot of things on the course of my uh, education. Uh, transposons was one of the one things that I never really fully understood. Uh, all I really t took from it was that it was some sort of genetic element thing that just kind of jumps around. And it's sort of like how you get things like maize corn and stuff, right? Uh, the, yeah, the, the different patterns in, uh, you know, maize corn, I guess. And I forget the name of the famous woman, Barbara McClintock, was it, who discovered that? Anyhow, so line elements in the brain 
are uh, these jumping genes, and um, there's it's unclear what their role is, but uh, I'm really excited to read this paper. So maybe we could talk about that. And he's Fred Gage is, I mean, he's like a factory. If he were music, he'd be like Kanye West. <laughs> In the in, in the neuroscience field, I mean, he's he's like a, a production. Uh, I've heard he's got like fifty postdocs or something like that. He's uh, he, I mean, he's a great great stem cell scientist and and really really moves things ahead. I, I saw this paper. He goes, we'll definitely we'll talk about it. Maybe we can try to get someone from that uh, from that paper to come on and explain it because it does it, for the first time gives us some insight into the difference between us and you know those non uh, non human primates. So. It was a really cool study. Yeah, and the way they were discovered was sort of by accident, too. It's a, it's a brain-specific um, uh, transposon. Anyhow, moving on, so we got some other news. Uh, Japanese scientists uh, showed that TCA, this chemical that's released uh, by bad wine. I thought you'd be interested uh, in mm, this. Interesting. Uh, yeah, anything uh, dealing with wine or olives i i just try to tickle you with because i know yeah, you're up there yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> so tca this chemical that's released in corked uh wine bottles did they, they thought it was actually a stimulant it actually blocks nerve cells the olfactory uh receptors and uh blocks calcium influx and uh japanese scientists showed uh how that works in uh nerve cells so I thought that was interesting. It's actually blocking your, so you're basically tasting with your tongue and not your, I mean. Wow, that's really. Yeah, uh, ta- yeah it blocks off the olfactory, so you're tongue tasting, as they call it. And um, that's why a corked oh, bottle. Right. Yeah, now you know why corked bottle tastes the way it is, because of TCA. Um there was an interesting study with uh, maybe I should not bring up the stem cells because uh, we I made. That's all right. Go ahead. Yeah, this was supposed to be a, a more broad, uh, you know, talk. But CDC forty two, um, this gene, uh, what has been implicated in aging? Have you said? Did you see this in Nature? I think it was. Uh, yes, it was I saw the, it. I the, did. The actually. Geiger group uh, showed that uh, hematopoietic uh, stem cells. Uh, can uh, switch from went canonical signaling to non-canonical signaling, and this was a sign of aging. And this uh, led to went uh, was mediated through went 5A, leading to expression of CDC42. And these uh, scientists, this paper shows that by blocking CDC42, you can uh, make older hematopoietic stem cells act young. Essentially, so I thought that was interesting, and um, uh, the Win Five A knockout uh, delayed aging in the in the hematopoietic stem cells as well. So I I thought that was interesting too. That's cool. We just heard about that last time from Daylon, Doctor Daylon James. So that's that's cool. It amazes it amazes me how much Win does these days. I mean, it's a, it used to be just like that gene that I would hear from Elaine Fuchs's group with uh, uh, hair follicle regeneration and development. And now it's like neuroscience. We use it for dopamine neurons. We use it for uh, just when the wind signaling is it's amazing how much it's like sonic hedge eyes so many does so many things it's amazing yeah so the wind the wind is a protein uh, right there's a family of them they, it's a wingless they, they, Wingless, yeah, it's right? it's, yeah. it's the homologue of this Drosophila, the, this fly, this gene called wingless, because when you got rid of it, it made them wingless, uh, and now it's wint. We call it wnt wints. So yeah, man, wints are at the heart of it all. Apparently, they're at the heart of aging. So uh, that's cool. Yeah, so maybe one day we can uh, find a signature of aging too, which is exciting because there's no real, uh, like if you could test something and determine its age without looking at it. I I, I think that's cool, like an organism. So a signature of aging is uh, uh, possible, or if you think of the implications of the research, but... Moving along, uh, there was a science article showing uh, quintillionth of a second, uh, 10 to the minus 18th clock. What? Yes, this is a, an atomic clock that uh, can be used uh, for, to test things like Einstein's theory of r- relativity. As apparently, in high-gravity environments, time's supposed to slow down, and you can measure this effect, uh, some of Einstein's predictions. So, um, Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, 10 to the 
minus 18th. I mean, I thought, you know, having a atomic clock would be good for things like GPS, but this is beyond GPS. This is like if you're testing <laughs> Einstein's theories, basically. <laughs> so uh, uh, speaking of that, uh, the uh, other Nobel Prizes came out since we last talked. Uh, Higgs got the Nobel. Remember the Higgs boson? The yep. actual guy Higgs got it. So I thought that was interesting that they gave it to him, uh, being that that's been tested this year. That was this year that the Higgs was discovered, essentially, at the um, LHC in, uh, where is that, the Large Hadron Collider. Yeah, um, I think it was, so to, for people out there, the Higgs, what is it, the Higgs boson, or I think it was like the Higgs particle? Higgs boson is, is like that. what they call the God particle, The the probably the worst name that uh, particle scientists would have came up for it, but it's stuck. And uh, the, the God particle gives glue to all matter, essentially. And these guys uh, discovered it. Uh, it. These guys, it was basically a whole consortium. Uh, and I think it cost like $10 billion to construct. It's this large, I don't know how many football fields wide. It's really huge where they spin these atoms around, smash them into each other, and um, discover all sorts of stuff. And yeah, that's what a synchrotron is. So that's probably like a physicist's dream, right? Yeah, at the Large Hadron Collider. Anyhow, so um, also Monsanto. I just found out about this. They're using double-stranded RNA uh, expressed in plants to destroy pests. It gets really? taken up by the insects. Yeah, and they're able to like kill off the insects using double-stranded RNA. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was crazy. I was like, "Wow, that's a different type of pesticide." That's for sure. So there, so it's like, what is that? So it's, so it's like they can market it as like it's better. It's a little bit more like normal, natural. Is that yeah, the idea? no, I'm not so sure. Uh, I know that you know it's because like, it's not like sprayed on or like you know, I, something like that. Not yeah, but I know that it, it basically kills off the pets, like and um, you know how like the cell recognizes double stranded yeah. RNA and goes crazy. It's like oh, there's a virus or some invading genome, uh, and then triggers a response. Uh, that that's the whole uh, method behind it. But I, I I don't really know how the mechanisms of how it's a safe and how it b kills the insects. But I thought that was pretty wild approach to uh crop protection but so crazy that's uh, if you think about what they're doing they're taking a plant they're taking its genetic code they're altering it in such that it becomes a super plant yeah and right kill, yeah well yeah. super in the sense that it could kill off insects that would eat it right and it makes it more hardy if you will prevalent dominant or something like that wow that's pretty crazy enhancing natural selection rna yeah it's i thought that was interesting um also they uh i'll just uh wrap up one more here uh there was a study that showed that lenisamine which is a form of uh sort of like ketamine it's the same target as ketamine I believe it's an NMDA receptor antagonist. I forget what ketamine, agonist or antagonist. But um, uh, scientists at Yale use this uh, drug to essentially treat for depression. And uh, it was published in the journal Molecular Psychiatry. It took about three weeks. But they found a significant finding there in using this ketamine analog for uh, treatment for depression. So thought that was interesting too uh given the target and the neuroscience of it all uh actually i have to mention this one other study about um scientists found uh the remains of uh five brains uh brain skulls in uh a georgian uh cave and these five different samples are about two million years old and they're some of the oldest humans ever discovered hmm. and um they their brains are about 40 percent of the size of ours but still it's a, a spectacular find and they sort of they discovered it like 10 years ago and kept it hidden on under the wraps and uh now all this data came out and it's interesting to see that much variation in one cave so i thought that was interesting and that 
that was published in Science Magazine. Wow, that's pretty wild. That's cool. I love reading those kind of things. It's so cool. Yeah, it makes you think back to the uh, savanna and the, you think of Lucy running around the savanna or something. And <laughs> But uh, apparently they're finding great samples in Georgia, uh, which is a former Russian Republic, right? Not the Georgia, yeah, yeah. It, not the state. Yeah, Americans not, always think it is. Yeah, the <laughs> that's a plague of uh, being, <laughs> being born in America. Is we have horrible geography. Oh, when it's it, terrible. Yeah, it's it's not it's not great. Um, so yeah, that's about it. Uh, I, I think I'll end it there. Thank you. That's um, really cool stuff. So you touched on um, uh, the general stuff, sprinkled in a little stem cell stuff. So let me now go to the stem cell stuff. I'll do this quick, man, because I really want to get Carl on and have him, uh, you know, get some time to talk about the, you know, the International Society uh, for Stem Cell Research. So what I got here, let's start here. You remember that five years ago um, published in The Lancet? There was this uh, woman who had tuberculosis. And so what they did was they did a windpipe transplant. Stem cells, they, they seeded this kind of donor windpipe and then they, they they've, they've transplanted it into her, um, and she had this remarkable recovery. Um, and so it's been five years, um, and this woman who received this donor windpipe that that had you know seeded with her own stem cells is living uh, healthily still after the surgery five years ago. Uh, and the Lancet just kind of published and it went through it and just just talks about it a bit. It's pretty remarkable. It's a pretty cool story. So is that the pancreas paper? So that is not the pancreas paper. So let's. Let's go down the line, and we'll get to that 3D pancreas. The next paper is from Stem Cell Reports. It's a uh, it's a new journal from the ISSCR. We'll uh, we'll have to talk to Carl about how how that journal is doing. But from everything I'm seeing, Joseph, it's got some really awesome papers. This one, for example, just came out. It's um, from the lab of Jun Takahashi, who's uh, wow. The, uh, yeah, we know yeah. that name. That's a big yeah. We name. know that name. There's one of the the, the, the gentleman that was, you know, the, on the first, uh, first, it was the first author of the uh, IPS cell story from Shinya Yamanaka, who's also on this paper. So, uh, Japanese scientists, pretty heavy hitting team. What they did was, uh, the, well, let me give you the title. It's called Direct Comparison of Autologous and Allogenic ooh, Transplant. Ooh. Yeah, I know. We'll get there. Yeah, you have uh, to tra- explain that word, aut- autologous. So autologous and allogenic transplantation of iPSC-derived neural cells in the brain of non-human primates. So, all right. So let's let's start with autologous and allogenic. So cell replacement therapy is of is one of the you know the viable therapeutics to come from stem cells. So there's two different two different kinds, if you will. Autologous means uh, it would be if I took my stem cells and put them back into me. Okay, an allogenic would be if if I took Yosef's or someone else's and I put them into myself. So obviously the autologous, um, you know, is is the better situation because those cells are your cells and your body knows your cells, uh, but it doesn't know other people's and it would probably reject them. So patients would have to go under this immunosuppressive therapy, which gets kind of crazy. So um, iPS cells, which these authors described, are these pluripotent cells that are derived from the skin. So you take the skin of anyone, revert it back, and now you have a cell that can turn into anything. So the hurdle that supposedly jumped was now, you know, we can have autologous transplantation because if I had, God forbid, got Parkinson's disease, I could take my skin, turn it into the iPS cell, differentiate it into the cells, or turn it into the cells that die in Parkinson's, and put it back into my own brain, and it should, you know, not reject, right? So this is the theory and the premise. So what they did, they wanted to test this. And so what they did, they took monkeys. Um, they took um, monkeys, uh, generated iPSCs, you know, from the skin. So they have one monkey, and then they differentiated them into dopaminergic neurons. And then they transplanted those neurons back, either into the original monkey that the iPS cell was generated from or into other monkeys that, that it was not from. Okay, so that you mimic your autologous and allergen, allergenic uh, transplant, allogeneic, I should say, uh, uh, transplantation. So, okay, paradigm. they took the skin from one monkey, turned it back to stem cell state, made dope, uh, neurons from the the, uh, the stem cells, and then delivered those neurons to other monkeys or the exact same monkey they started with? Yes. Okay. Perfect. I'm with you. Perfect summary. So, so now what they can directly test is does IPS cells, IPS cell-derived cells, really 
incorporate better into its its own person? And the answer is yes. So they found that um, autologous transplantation of these neurons elicited a very minimal immune response uh, in the brain, while the um, allo, um, while the allografts or the allogeneic paradigm caused uh, an acquired immune response with the activation of microglia, which is basically like the resident gatekeepers in the brain that kind of sweep up the dust or the dirt when there's uh, inflammation. There, there are these weird immune system type of cells that, that live in the brain. They're, they're really unique. Uh, yeah, they're cool too. They look really cool. They have a really awesome morphology. And they're implicated in lots of disease because whenever you have a disease or something in the brain or an immune response you know, in the brain or something, microglia are there. So they're really important cells. So they found that those get activated a lot more uh, in the, in the you know, non-autologous paradigm. And consequently, Joseph, the, the neurons survive better in the autologous paradigm. So, you know, if you get less information and less immune response, uh, you're going to get a better survival of the graft. So this is the conclusions of this paper. It was, uh, it's timely and it's good for these authors because these are the guys that put forth this method as a potential therapeutic. And so this is really the first report of it having evidence that it, there's not, you know, as bad of a rejection, if you will. Wow, that's exciting! They did this in monkeys, which is real. I mean, a lot of these studies come out in in um, mice, and to have it in non-human primates, I, it's, it's that's very close to us, as you know. So it's uh, yeah, that's it's impressive because yeah. it's it's the next thing down. So they really they really wanted to try to get that that across. So so that was that was a really nice paper again in this new journal, Stem Cell Reports. Uh, next, Yosef's interesting. It's in Nature Materials, um, uh, and the name of this article is Biophysical Regulation of Epigenetic State and Cell Reprogramming, uh, and this is from the group Song Lee and David Schaefer. The first author is Timothy Downing. So, you know, we're on the subject of IPS cells. So you make these IPS cells by giving them these four factors, these four genes, and they will turn into these pluripotent stem cells, but um, you know they do it at a fairly low rate. You know, we just actually had you know Jacob Hanna on talking about how you can increase that uh, you know rate of conversion, if you will. And you remember, Yosef, they came out back in the day. Remember saying that um, if you alter the epigenetic state of of stem of these fibroblasts by you know people were using like HDAC inhibitors and these kinds of things you can increase the reprogramming efficiency yeah valproic so, acid vpa yeah, valproic acid. just sort of loosening up the dna getting it ready for the reprogramming stage yep exactly so what these guys found is that um, if you grow uh, if you grow these um, fibroblasts on these micro grooves of the cell surface adhesion, you know, on the substrate of the dish, so you make these grooves, you know, like, or, or like a structure, that 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 you know the cells growing in there can cause an epigenetic change that mimics the likes of these chemicals or these drugs that people would throw on. And when you reprogram in this paradigm, it ingress, you know, drastically increases the efficiency. So it's more of a, it's a biophysical. Effect on so wait, what do these grooves do? Are they like little mountains in the dish, little ridges, or are they sinkholes? What are these little grooves? Are are sewers in the dish? They're like they, they, they call them these nanofibrous scaffolds. Oh, um, with a line, they a lot you know, kind of align them in a line orientation. Okay, uh, and and they do that, and then they make these grooves. Like I said, they kind of just groove out a spot in the dish that these cells can kind of. When they fit in, you know, their sides are pressed, they become constrained, so it induces sort of like this bio, you know, this this kind of stress or actual polar push on a cell, and that kind of can kick in this epigenetic remodeling and increase reprogramming. So it's sort of like a cellular fetal position that they put the cells exactly. in. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. That's exactly what it is. That's <laughs> funny. I didn't even think about that. Well, that's um, cool. And so, so lastly... Um, is what we alluded to in the title is, and that's the 3D pancreas. Here comes the 3D pancreas, Yosef. So, so it, it is not really a 3D pancreas, but it's it's the beginning stages of that. So, what is a pancreas? A pan- pancreas is that structure. I think they always told me back in the day, Yos, in science, that it's a that it looks like cornbread. Is that right? Is that the pancreas? No. Oh <laughs> no, it looks like the cornucopia. 
No, cornucopia. That, it looks like that horn structure, you know, that, that the, the fruit comes out. It's that, like, oh, okay. you know what I mean? It's got that, like, horn-like structure. But maybe it looks like cornbread, too, where well, I don't, it depends on where you get your cornbread. Exactly. Regardless of what, regardless of what it looks like, it's, uh, it's critical in regulation um, of, of uh, I'm sorry, regulation of sugar, really, in the context of diabetes. But it produces insulin, and you need insulin to, to function as, a, as an organism, as a human. And so one of, the, one, of the, you know, one of the things that stem cell research offers is a potential source of these pancreatic islets, these pancreatic cells that produce insulin for diabetic patients. And so, you know, people turn pluripotent stem cells into the islets, um, you know, kind of two-dimensional cell that secretes insulin and so forth. Doug Melton is really big in this effort at Harvard. But what this group did, and the, the title is Artificial Three-Dimensional Niches Deconstruct Pancreas Development in Vitro. This is uh, um, uh, in Denmark, um, I believe, Um trying to pull up the article. I'll, I'll check that for you guys later. But anyway, what they did was, so so again, so the goal here is to make uh, the pancreas, right? You want to be able to produce these cells. Uh, and so methods for pancreatic progenitor expansion and, and differentiation into these ins- insulin-producing beta cells um, would be valuable. And so what they, they put these uh, mouse embryonic pancreatic progenitors kind of in this mature gel uh, 3D kind of environment. It's kind of like what Dr. Noblick talked about, Yosef. Remember that with mm-hmm. those, those organoids? Yeah. Um, and so uh, what they found was they found these complex organoids. They actually use that word. The complex organoids spontaneously undergo this pancreatic morphogenesis and differentiation. Uh, so they express these markers. They show that the signaling pathways act. And they actually get this kind of morphological semblance of what would be um, a pancreas. So they think that what, they should, what they'll be able to do is if they can get these primitive pancreatic precursors and put them in the right uh, situation or the right uh, kind of condition, if you will, they'll be able to construct a more, you know, relevant like organoid or organ that can better secrete this insulin that you'd be able to use in some sort of diabetic treatment. Um, it's it's cool. The thing the thing I don't understand, Yos, in this general topic is like vascularization. You know. Yeah, and also the 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 signals too. It seems like uh, that's also a concern. And what's what else is in there? You know, I mean, but but yeah, but I think to 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 the credit of the authors, what they did do in this paper is they they did, and even the title reflects it. They talk about it as a real developmental feat. You know, they they say that they've learned new things about pancreatic development that they never knew before that they never. So, so they, so they, you know, they, they, they use it in a way that allows them to discover new things about a, a, a system, and the more you know about how it actually develops, the more we'll be able to recreate it in the dish. So, so to that end, I mean, you know, that's that's awesome. And we should say, you know, anybody with diabetes knows that the pancreas is, uh, it can, it, it's an important structure for us to try to make, especially the beta cells, um, to to produce insulin for patients who have uh, type 1 or type 2 diabetes. So uh, that's exciting. And more organoids. It's amazing how far we're going with our, uh, that seems to be the future of, uh, you know. It is. I think it will be, you know, getting out of the 2D and getting to a 3D space. I just like, I can't see myself or my lab getting like a bioreactor, but what, maybe. What are the cells doing? Are they just doing their thing? You just let them go and they make structures? Uh, they get their pre- I guess. Or is it? I guess. Uh, you know, uh, is it is their media different than you know the the cer- cerebral organoid uh, media? So, uh, like, what what are the different what's inducing pancreas versus neurons? You know, I, I really I really don't know, but I do know that this three D models are 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 kind of where it's at, I guess, and where it should go. And we our stuff exists in three D, so that's what they're trying to do. And they got to learn some really cool stuff about pancreas development and. And uh, hopefully that'll help us get more towards a viable therapeutic for for diabetes. Um, so I have a couple more papers, but I think what we'll do, Yos, is I, we'll we'll just end it there because I really want to get to our 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 guest for today's show. Sounds good to me. All right, Yos. So one of the one of the really cool things about uh, being in science is you get to you know you you become part of a little bit of a club and you get to go to these. Events. So in our case, we go to these stem cell events, stem cell conferences, things like this, and you become part of it's like a society, right? 
and um, it's a really awesome thing to have and and to be around. Uh, and the the real big major society for stem cell research is aptly named the uh, International Society for Stem Cell Research, uh, and we're really lucky to have uh, as our guest tonight the scientific affairs manager, Dr. Carl Wonders from uh, ISSER, and he joins us now in the Stem Cell Podcast, and he's going to tell us a little bit about that society and uh, what it does. How are you doing, Carl? Hey, Christopher. I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Wow, it's a pleasure to hear your voice again. Uh, I haven't seen you. Well, I saw you at the meeting, but before that, it was uh, back in the day when we were at Cornell together. Yeah, we, we go back quite a ways there. I uh, Actually, I remember when you came in, a uh, fresh-faced graduate student, you know, not really knowing your way in the world, and uh, uh, yeah, took the, you under my wing a little bit, you know. The, 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 the first part is true, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the, what I really liked was that review you wrote in Nature Neuroscience Reviews. Uh, that's one of my favorite interneuron reviews. Is that what, Was it Nature Neuroscience that was uh, uh, Nature Reviews Neuroscience. Yes, yeah. yes, uh, That yes. was uh, a, a nice bone that I was tossed by... Uh, my uh, my advisor uh, Stuart, Stuart Anderson, Anderson. Uh, was nice enough to throw that in my direction, and uh, I still hear from people who say that they've cited it. So I guess uh, what we put in there was pretty good because yeah. well, we're he, still still citing it and still reading it. And, uh, and, I think and, it's about six years old now. And Stuart Anderson's doing well over in Pennsylvania. He's now uh, head of neurology or that's ne- uh, the neuro department there. He's yeah. yeah so yeah, he uh, moved uh, he moved down south to uh, to Penn, I believe. And, yeah. Uh, Set up, that, set up shop down there. So yeah. So so on that note, Carl, uh, what you and Yos are talking about, give uh, give us and our audience a little background on your scientific uh, upbringing, if you will, and how uh, you know what you did over there at, at Cornell. Sure. So um, I started out as an undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh, and I was in the neuroscience program. Um, at Pitt, and uh, at the time, I think it was one of maybe, I think they were saying three actual uh, neuroscience departments that were servicing undergraduate students at the time, so that kind of tells you uh, how much the field has grown in in, in the time since. Um, after that, I went on to uh, Cornell University, as as Yost mentioned, um, started there in 2001, um, and uh, wound up in the laboratory of Stuart Anderson, who was a uh, an assistant professor at the Department of Psychiatry, and he was mostly interested in the study of the development of cortical interneurons. These are the uh, inhibitory cells of the cortex. Um, I believe a couple of weeks ago you had uh, Dr. Jurgen Noblik on, and uh, he was talking about uh, forming uh, brains in a dish, and, and Yosef actually asked the question about uh, the formation of uh, medial ganglionic eminence in those cultures. And uh, actually, the the MGE, as we referred to it, uh, is basically what I was studying, trying to figure out where interneurons come from, and they come in various flavors, um, and uh, exactly how those flavors of neurons are determined during development, and uh, the implications that that has uh, in disorders such as schizophrenia and epilepsy. So I did that for about uh, five years and graduated and uh, went to do a postdoc in uh, the University of Toronto with uh, Dr. Derek Vandekoy. Uh, worked on retinal stem cells uh, while I was up there. And uh, at, in the process of doing my research, I kind of got pulled into a, a small group of people um, who were really interested in doing some scientific outreach with uh, uh, the community uh, in Toronto. Uh, it's a very big scientific community up there, and they were looking to bring stem cells to the public in, in some way. And uh, the, a guy by the name of Paul Kassar, who just graduated, uh, started a program called Stem Cell Talks, um, which was uh, basically an outreach event that brought uh, gifted high school students uh, to a day-long seminar at the, at the University of Toronto where we talked about stem cell basics, uh, what stem cells were and what they could be used for and, and the potential for, for uh, scientific treatments. And uh, I really got into that, got, got a lot out of it. I really enjoyed talking to students and, and, and seeing them become interested in stem cells. And um, at, around that time, uh, the position at the ISSCR opened up. Um, I was starting to think about my future in science and what it is I wanted to do. Um, and, uh, you know, realizing that, that, that an academic track is actually, is really hard and, and, and very few people really, uh, make it in, in academia. Um, 
you know, a lot of people end up in doing postdocs, but then there's a lot of different careers that people can branch off into. And, and the ISSCR position was something that, that really involved a lot of uh, communicating science to the public and to other scientists. And it really seemed uh, a nice fit with what I was doing uh, in addition to my own research. And um, it was a good way of, of doing that and also staying um, abreast with, with what was going on in the scientific world and in the world of stem cells. So um, I applied for the job and was lucky enough to, uh, to start working at the ISSCR uh, in April of 2011, got thrown into the deep end right away, went to my first annual meeting as a uh, member of the staff uh, two months later in Toronto, uh, funnily enough, and uh, been there ever since. Wow. See, see, that's that's really cool. You know, Yost, because I think, and we've, I think we talked about it a little bit. Um, you know, getting the scientific, getting younger people or just people interested in science and having that, you know, really engaging them, especially in this field. And you know, we, we all share a thing in neuroscience and now stem cells. These are really exciting, exciting fields, and it's 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 really awesome um, to 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 preach that and get out there. So I think that's that's really cool, Carl. I mean, it's so it's so important. And yeah, thank you, thank you for not going to the dark side, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> not to say there's anything wrong with uh, going corporate, as we say, but um, you need a little you need a little darkness sometimes. Yeah, you know? well, yeah, um, uh, we love our corporate brothers and sisters out there doing research in the field, and um, so uh, I just wanted to ask you: Can you tell us more about ISSCR? Tell us tell us what's going on over there. Sure. So um, ISSCR, I guess, you know, relatively speaking, uh, as far as scientific societies goes, there's is still a pretty young society. We uh, celebrated our 10th anniversary back in, uh, I guess, last year. So, um, you know, we'll be having our 12th annual meeting coming up in, in this in June of 2014. So we haven't been around that long, but then again, neither has the field of stem cells. Um, and it, we really were the brainchild of Dr. Leonard Zahn, who is uh, – who's a scientist at, in, over at uh, Boston Children's Hospital. And, uh, you know, he recognized the need for uh, a, a new scientific society that encompassed this growing and, and rather uh, neonatal field uh, of stem cells. And uh, in the time uh, since its founding, uh, the first annual meeting um, had a couple hundred people in, in Washington, D.C., and our last annual meeting, uh, which was in June uh, in Boston, uh, was the first one to hit over 4,000 people, uh, attendees. So, so, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No. Can I just be the old guy here? I was yeah. at that first meeting oh, in Washington, D.C. Uh. I, was a, I just got to graduate school, and uh, my mentor, Dr. Sally Temple, who uh, uh, you know, took me, she said, this is going to be the first meeting for the society. You guys should go. And I remember, Carl, it was so small. You know, it was like there were people. There were actually meals where everybody sat down together in a room. Um, it's amazing to see where it's gone, and it makes me feel a little bit older. Yeah, I have to say. I mean, I went to the first ISSCR meeting this year in Boston, and it was very big and worldwide, and um, very exciting. And um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think um, you know, I think we really did a great job this year. Um, I think it's, it, it's been growing. Um, I, my first meeting since we're all sharing that story was, uh, the 2006 meeting, um, in Toronto. And, uh, it was my first, you know, my first year as a, as a, as a postdoc. And, uh, the, the thing about that meeting was that that was the meeting when, uh, Dr. Yamanaka first announced his discovery of IPS cells. And it was one of those moments where everyone in the room kind of looked, realized, whoa, okay, the, the, the game has changed here. And, um, you know, you saw it on the faces of, of big names uh, in, in the research field. So you knew that something big had happened. And it's, it's really a cool experience, I have to say, to, to, uh, to be a part of, of something like that, even, even as a newcomer to the field, to realize that something that big had happened. And then to see, you know, him share the Nobel Prize just a few years later was, was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean... No, that's an amazing thing. We will be able to say that we were, you know, uh, we were there. I was there when mm -hmm. that Nobel Prize winner was announced his work, you know, for the first time. And that's, uh, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And it just talks about the significance of the event. You know, I mean, uh, ISSCR draws those type of presentations. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty commanding. It's pretty, pretty nice. 
Yeah, and I like the fact that, I mean, we've been growing uh, over time, but I, I still think that we're still at a good size where we can have those, the, you know, the, the top name plenary session um, uh, talks where we're not too big to have everyone in one room at one time for, for the big talks and then to also be able to to continue to grow to the point where we have so many concurrent sessions and, and speakers now that uh, I think we really are able to offer a lot of opportunities to people, regardless of what stage they're in their career. So whether you're just starting out and are presenting posters um, and you have the leaders walking through the poster hall uh, all the way up until, you know, the big names uh, doing the plenary sessions. So I think it's, a, it's still a very accessible meeting. Um, you know, we've talked offline a little bit about uh, other meetings like uh, that just have grown to the point where it just becomes overwhelming. And I think that uh, we're still at a, at a very, uh, a good level of, of attendance where, where, you know, the big names go, uh, but the, you still see them, uh, walking the halls. You still feel like you can connect with anybody that, that is at the meeting. It's not, there's not a, a group that's out of reach per se. Uh, so I, I really am, am happy with the size we're at right now. And so, uh, on that level, so moving on to the next level, where do you guys see yourself going in the future? Like, uh, what were the uh, more far-headed plans, I guess, not just next year's meeting? So, you know, uh, this year was the first year where we did something called uh, a regional forum series. Um, so in addition to our annual meeting, we actually held two regional meetings, um, or what we were referring to as regional forums. Uh, one was in Florence, Italy uh, in September, and it was a small meeting that was focused primarily on uh, translational aspects of stem cell research. And uh, it was, uh, you know, a four-day meeting uh, bringing together uh, about 400 people and uh, mostly uh, talks throughout the day. Um, Our second meeting just wrapped last week, actually. It was in Suzhou, China. And it was it was more of a general uh, meeting. It was a a meeting that we put on uh, in partnership with Cold Spring Harbor Asia. Uh, it was actually the second time we've done that. We did one a couple years ago as well, and it was a successful meeting. And, and this one seemed to to go over really well too. And uh, I think our goal, as far as meetings are concerned, is really to, in addition to our annual meeting, keep that going and make that still the hub of our you know our activity as far as meetings go. But to have these smaller, more focused regional forums uh, throughout the year and then in other locations. So we we tend to have two North American based annual meetings, and then we'll go out to a location in Europe. Um, the next one in, for that is in 2015. We're going to be in Stockholm. And then we come back to North America for two years, and then we go out to Asia. Um, two years ago in 2012, we were in uh, in Japan, and we're currently trying to, to figure out where we're going to be going uh, for 2018. Um, so while we're in North America, we thought we could have these smaller meetings uh, in other locations around the world to make it more accessible for, for people who maybe can't make it all the way to to a Boston or to a San Francisco, but but can go to a, a Suzhou, China, or to a Florence, Italy. Um, some some other programs that we're working on, uh, we just launched a new journal a few months ago uh, that was launched uh, in conjunction with the Boston meeting. Uh, it's called Stem Cell Reports. Uh, it's published by Cell Press. It's now the ISSCR's official journal. Um, one of the things that I'm really proud of and a lot of us are really proud of is the fact that it's also open access. Excellent. So it's it doesn't there's no subscription involved. Anyone who's interested can read the articles on there. Um, we've just had our fourth issue come out for October, and we've had a lot of great uh, science published uh, in there so far. And it looks yeah, like I'm sorry. There's some great there's some really great papers in that in that journal. Do you know um, the website for that? Is that uh, maybe we yeah, could just post it or. You could sure, say it if you know it. it it's it's uh, stem cell reports. It's all one word. Dot cell. Dot com. Oh, great, perfect. And there's there are, pu- there are papers that get published there on a regular rotating basis, and then they get aggregated together into a single issue. So you'll see online. Uh, well, everything's online, but what we refer to is uh, you know online now or, or or what have you. Where there'll be a couple articles that'll come out, and then a couple more articles will come out, and then those will be compiled into one issue. Uh, with a cover and and, and so forth. Um, another program that we started uh, actually uh, in conjunction with the uh, the Japan meeting uh, in uh, Yokohama is a as a online platform called ISSCR Connect. Um, <clears throat> this really was was started out uh, in recognition of the fact that our meeting had 
been growing. And as I mentioned, we're having a number of concurrent sessions. And in that meeting, we're actually going to have, um, you know, five, uh, four concurrent sessions with five sessions each. So that's, that's a lot of talks. And that's, that's great. That's a lot of great opportunities to present. But it, the detriment to that is that you can only be at 20% of the meeting, you're going to be missing four sessions of the five, because um, you can only physically be in one place at one time. So the concept was, can we uh, record the sessions and go out and get speaker permission uh, to then put the content available online to those people who were at the meeting. Uh, this way we wouldn't be considering publishing any unpublished data. We we felt that that would make people more comfortable with the concept of having their, their talk available online. And we um, put those up there for about two-week stretches. So we would say, okay, every talk that we got permission for from concurrent session one, which was Thursday afternoon, uh, is now available online for the next two weeks. If you wanted to be at, at talk B, but you were in room A at the time, go check it out now. And uh, we had about 65% of our speakers uh, said yes to doing this, which we were really happy with. We weren't sure how the, it was going to be received. And uh, and we had you know well over 1,000 people check it out. Um, we repeated that for Boston and had uh, a higher number of people who said yes and a greater number of people who checked out the content. Uh, so we think that that's a great way of, of adding value to the meeting uh, itself. Um, in addition to that, we've been using the platform to put out uh, new talks and other content uh, as well. Um, we're actually just starting um, tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow being Thursday the 24th. I'm not sure what when the recording is going out, but uh, on Thursday the 24th, um, Dr. Sebastian Jesberger who actually had the cover image from our second issue of Stem Cell Reports, uh, is going to be giving a talk on um, control of adult neurogenesis. Um, he was a former postdoc in uh, Fred Gage's lab, and he has a, a lab out at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. Um, and then we have a series of, of other neural-related talks lined up, um, including uh, uh, Dr. Arnold Krigstein in November, uh, Dr. Jürgen Noblik, who you had on this program a few segments ago, uh, uh, will be speaking in December, and then Dr. Gage will be speaking in January. Um, and then we've also gone back to some previous award winners. Uh, the ISSCR gives out a, a couple awards every year in recognition of, of various achievements, uh, one being the uh, ISSCR Outstanding Young Investigator Award. Uh, this goes to somebody who's been an independent investigator for roughly no more than five years. So they're still starting out, but they've done a great amount of work and they've been really impressive in their early career and they get recognized for that. And we invited all the previous recipients of that award to come back and give a fresh talk and let us know what they've been up to. And we've had a fir the first couple of those and uh, go through. We had uh, uh, Robert Blaylock come on. Uh, we had uh, Cedric Blundpain came on a few weeks ago. And uh, Conrad Hockenlinger is going to be on uh, coming up in November, and Joanna Wysaka will be speaking uh, uh, sometime in January. So we have a couple of great uh, new scientific content talks that we're going to be putting out there. Um, those are generally available to ISSCR members as, as a member benefit, and uh, you know we're really looking to grow some programming uh, on there as a way of supplementing uh, the content that we provide through the meeting. Um, yeah, that's the key word right there. Content, content, content. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> and I'm glad you're keeping the scientific content there because those are some great names you just mentioned there. Yeah, those are really, really impressive. The, the other thing, Carl, I just, you know, in the time we have, could you just touch on mm -hmm. briefly uh, what the society uh, can do for those for those non-scientific people out there that are interested in stem cells or might have uh, some sort of disease or disorder or know somebody and has heard about how stem cells can possibly help them. Do, uh, I, know, I know there was an effort there to really get people educated. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, we have a website that uh, was launched a few years ago. Uh, it's called A Closer Look at Stem Cells. Uh, the, the website is... Uh, Closer look at stemcells.org, and what it really is is it, it's it, it's a resource for people or patients or family members of people who have certain disorders and are considering pursuing a stem cell based treatment. Um, it it has a description of 
you know, what the clinical trial process looks like. So what, what is it that something has to go through to be taken from a lab setting and then brought to a clinical setting? So what are all the steps that are involved there? And, and really spells out exactly how rigorous this process is and how rigorous it needs to be, frankly, uh, to be able to show that something is both safe and, and then also effective in, in, in treating whatever condition uh, is being, it's being purported to treat. Um, the site also has um, you know, things to ask your doctor. If you're, if you're going to go and you, you want to hear from a doctor um, what treatment they're offering you, what are some things you should keep in the back of your mind? Uh, what should you... Uh, you know what? What? What are some of the red flags to look out for? If, if you know this doesn't quite pass the smell test here, that the, the, they're saying, you know, when you hear, oh, we're going to take cells from you know some part of your body and just stick them back in, and they're going to know where to go, and 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 that sort of thing. Is that you know, if they're not spelling out exactly where the cells are coming from and how they're going to be administered, and uh, and then also a big part is you know what's the long-term follow-up plan here? Is you know are you going to be treated and sent on your way, or is it going to be a situation where uh, you know we have this years multiple year-long follow-up process? So there's a lot of information on there um, just really to educate people to to know what to ask uh, when they're considering a, a treatment. We we don't have. You know, we're, we're not going to tell horror stories on there or anything like that. It's, it's, it's more information-based. Um, we also put together um, a series of documents um, about, you know, what are some of the guidelines that should be followed by researchers. And part of that, uh, you know, is what are some guidelines for uh, the clinical translation of stem cells, which is, you know, taking them from lab to, to patient. And part of that document is a patient handbook that spells out in, in more detail than the website, you know, exactly what it is that, that patients should be aware of uh, when pursuing stem cell-based treatments. Um, that handbook is available both on the ISSCR.org website, our main website, and also on the Closer Look website. And it's available in a number of languages. So it's not just on in English. So if you're not a native English speaker, uh, you can hopefully find um, a, a document there that, that is in a language that, that is more familiar to you. And uh, so, bottom line, where do you think the cures are going to come from uh, most in the more nearest future? Like, what's on the horizon? What's almost out there in the clinic that you think uh, stem cells can, you know, people should look towards? You see anything out there besides, you know, neuroscience or, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, if you told me, what do you think is going to be the, the, the next thing, I would point to the Geron trial that was right. currently going on and then you know so that just showed which you know, what, that we should say familiar, yeah. that this was a, a treatment that was designed for to treat spinal cord injury and and they had the green light and they were going to go do clinical trials and then the 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 corporate entities uh changed their mind and stopped pursuing that and, and i think it was a 1500 it was a 1500 page application yeah yeah uh i remember at, at a meeting they they the ceo at the time put up a picture of what that document looked like and just this table just full of binders and it was one copy of the application and uh and then you know the, the corporate winds change and and they go in a different direction and you know it's just been picked up again by uh, another company but uh you know that was very promising i i do think that um there's a lot of great work being done uh uh in in the eye right now um there's a lot of different trials ongoing to look at uh, age-related macular degeneration, um, replacing not so much the photoreceptor cells, the, the light-sensing cells of the eye, but the cells that are in back of the eye that, that are really there for maintaining those cells and keeping them healthy. Um, and there's been studies on, on uh, you know, doing transplantation of those cells, moving them around, uh, growing them from embryonic stem cells, uh, there's a lab in Japan that just got permission to use uh, induced pluripotent stem cells, so the iPS cells that, that Dr. Yamanaka discovered using that technology to make these cells that are called RPE cells. Uh, so I think there's a lot of promising uh, work there, um, both because of you know how mature that work is, but also because I think that the retina is a, is a, is a relatively accessible tissue, so it's not it's it's not not simple to get into it but it's it's not as complicated as say 
you know, treating Parkinson's disease and sticking something deep into the brain. Hey, um, hey, hey, listen, I'm a little sensitive <laughs> over here. I, I think actually Parkinson's hey, I'm, I'm, I'm is... All for, uh, I'm all for treating the Parkinson's disease. I, I'd have um, to differ. I mean, it's a very small population, and we know right where to put them to provide relief. And uh, I'd have to disagree, but, uh, you know, I like well, I said, I'm a little sensitive. It's... It's a very small. It's not like recreating the motor neurons in, say, a- ALS. See, I think it. Well, see, that, well, that's that's a whole other story. See, I mean, you see what ha- Listen, you see what happens when you get three neuroscience <laughs> scientists in a room. I mean, this is what's going to happen. Like, nah, I don't know about uh, no, your neurons. But, no, but I don't know about your neurons. I, actually, I agree with Carl. Uh, the, the the RPE replacement is very exciting, and I think you and uh, Chris and your previous mentor know a lot. You know, are are one are doing exciting stuff so i'm i'm really uh i agree with that endorsement but uh you know what the last question we have for you is which is uh, mm-hmm. a, a, a funny story that you could share with our audience uh from either graduate school or since then well i, I thought about this really hard because uh you know trying to find a funny story uh, and knowing that 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 yosef was on here i could name a whole lot of stories that I probably shouldn't, so I'm not going to oh, go there, yeah. but uh, no, no, I'm, I, you know, in the interest of, of our listeners, I, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, hold off on those, but, uh, um, you know, this isn't even really about me personally, this is, this is just an experience I had a um, couple times, actually, uh, going down to the animal facility at Cornell, which was in our, in the building that my lab was in, uh, on another floor, and, and, you know, going back to you know, choosing your your model organisms wisely, uh, and and you know a lot of work we I was doing was in in, in the mouse, but uh, some people who who study uh, you know neurogenesis and adult neurogenesis. One of the the at least at the time I'm, I'm not as familiar with the literature these days, but uh, uh, one of the model organisms was the songbird. Um, you know, songbirds learn new songs over time, and that that process is deeply connected with with neurogenesis, and I had a I, I had a buddy there who who was doing work on songbirds and and I thought it was the coolest thing and he's like well you know it has its ups and downs and I I remember distinctly at least two times you know going down to the the animal facility and we've all had mice run amok on us and and run off into the corner and you have to get the little trap out and all that stuff and, and it's a pain so but I'm going down there with some old mouse cages uh, late in the day and I see this. See my friend, you know, he's he's got his head down, he's shuffling along, and he's carrying this giant butterfly net into the animal facility. And in you know, and he's just like I'm like, did your thesis just escape and fly? He's like, Yeah. Like like months of work is flying around the halls down there and I have to go and, and take this giant net and he has to catch these birds. And, and I'm just I'm thinking, gosh, I'm I'm so happy that I, I just work with these little mice right now because <laughs> I, I don't. It, it must have been ten thirty at night, you know. Wow. And <laughs> so, so you know, to the future scientists out there, you know, the choose your choose your model organisms wisely yeah. because oh, uh, I think that's know, a nice they, analogy they, for the whole graduate school process. You're just right, chasing yeah. your your thesis around with a, a net, you know. Yeah, you're yeah, you're literally chasing your thesis down the hall in the air. <laughs> That's a great story. Well, I mean, I, I think. Listen, let's just let's just say this: the International Society for Stem Cell Research. It's uh, you can go at www.isscr.org. Uh, the meeting this year, uh, 2014, I should say, in June, is in beautiful Vancouver, Canada. I think Carl registration and abstract submissions are open in December. Is that right? December 12th. December 12th. So. If you are in stem cell research near it or very close to it, you should probably go to this meeting. Uh, there is something for everybody. Uh, I will be there, and I'm sure my man Yos will be there. So, um, all right, Yos, what do you think? Uh, you think yeah. we should uh, have a bit of a rant here? Should yeah, we, yeah, should we uh, Carl what, yeah, Carl, you want to stay, stick around for the rant, or uh, you got to sure, get I'll going? Stick around. Yeah. All right. Let, what do we got going on today, Yos? I'm excited. No, I, you know, I. Y- I was going to bring up something else with uh, concerning doing mouse work, but I- I'm going to keep it light and just talk about the Nature email. I love Nature magazine. We've talked about them before. They do, I mean, all the best work. They're the best. They're like the Oscars. Them and science are like, 
you know, the best you could publish in the world probably. And, um, their email is like 10 pages long. I, I, it takes me forever to get through it. There's like all these different sections from sub journals and different, uh, you know, I just, I wish it was as short as the actual publication. Wait, what do you mean by the email? You mean like the email for like the table of contents email? It tells yes. you what's in there? Yes. Yes. Every yeah, week. that is a bit risky, right? I mean, I, I, I'm trying to, you know what it is? I think we were just trying to find a very small specific set of something. And by the time you're flipping through and you, you know, you can't get to it and click on the paper. Is that, is that what you're doing? Well, you know, it, there's another thing that I want to rant about is that when you go to some of these websites to look up a paper, you can't find the PDF link. You're searching around for like 10 minutes. Where is it? Now I've grown accustomed. It's in the, you know, that right hand corner. And it, why isn't that the default setting or just like, you know, easier to find? I'm j These are high class problems, obviously, but it's a Seinfeld rant. So, what, I mean, no, I, I totally hear you. What I want to know is, you know, guys, Google Scholar, which is actually a very cool thing, you know, which might help. I don't know how long I don't know when it gets updated. I don't know if it's like, you know, if you go into Google Scholar and search a topic, is it going to bring you the top? You know, the just is it like a PubMed? Is there like a lag time? Um, that's that's. That's well, my thing because what we would need is a streamlined place, Joseph, where you could just go get the information and not have to worry about flipping through it all. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Carl? You got anything out there <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> bothering you on the internets? Well, I mean, I, I, uh, I'm I happy to hear the complaint about the long email. Um, <laughs> it's something, you know, in, in my job, I, I tend to, to write more emails than, than to receive them in, in some ways. And, uh, uh, you know, Keeping in mind, I think the the length of the emails maybe you know maybe that's something that I'll uh, want to keep in mind of. I, uh, I I I do know that you know with with the nature journals, uh, you know it's part of part of the reason why I tended to uh, when I was looking for papers, uh, I would tend to go to the more specialized journals, and then occasionally I'd run across. I, I tend to miss more nature articles in nature itself than in the the sub journals for that reason. Um, you know, one of my jobs is writing the uh, the the monthly newsletter, and we put in some literature highlights in there. And and gosh, sometimes it, it's just it's it becomes hard to just find the one nature paper that you're looking for. I mean, and it, you know, to their credit, they have a lot of great material in there, and 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 they just cover everything. I think, um, but uh, I don't know what the solution there is. Um, well, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what it yeah. is. Either. I think I think it's like the maybe it's the time we live in, right? It's an age of information, so we, you know, we have all this info. We want to get it to everybody so they can see it all. So we put everything there. So hence, we have fired up. On well, the, I mean, uh, why, why, why doesn't science do that? Do they have just like it, there's not as many sub journals, and you know, like there's not science molecular biology yeah. is there or that, is it, that could be it that I, could be it nature has a ton of different journals so yeah i love i love like the like i said the nature neuroscience or nature reviews neuroscience i love that journal i mean it's just the the weekly email is just too long by the time you get to the end of it you're like oh my gosh i, I that was that took forever i read you know and you're learning about right, so the bottom oh, bottom the bottom the bottom line is Twitterification. Sorry, uh, I, we should have a Twitterification of the email at you know just keep it short, 140 characters, uh, metaphor. I, I just this is a rant, and I just want to rant about an email, basically. So that's that's my rant, and uh, well, I'm sticking uh, with the, it. So all the uh, publishers out there uh, in the journals. You got to keep your stuff shorter, otherwise Yoast is just going to go crazy. I know. So let's just, I'm, I'm going to get carpal tunnel from scrolling down too hard. So. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think I think we'll sign off right there. Uh, so let's uh, let's thank Joseph, uh, Dr. Carl Wonders, for joining us. Thanks a lot, Carl. Awesome, to have you? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun and uh, been able to uh, catch up with Joseph on some stuff. It's been great. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, good to hear your voice again, and uh, I hope to see you soon next year in Toronto. Absolutely. All right. And, uh, uh, we'll be in Vancouver. But, oh, uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> My heart is hopefully in Toronto. I love, the, I love both cities. So, uh, okay, yeah, great. I'll see you there. All righty. All right, take care. All right, take care, Carl. You too.